0: Start the music. How does a bastard, convict, refugee minority teach with authority, place a priority on those on the margins, charge and charge as a pariah, end up being the Savior and Messiah? In God we trust so we were just became one of us nonplus in dealing with our lust in dealing with our disgust dealing with our lack of trust in centuries he's been deb- And disgust. And every day, while they were going round the town by day, across the waves, they struggled and thought they drowned. Peter saw Jesus walk on water, said he was down. The brother was ready to die, but lie when he was found. The Pharisees came and the Reformation reigned. A man unrolled a scroll and he couldn't be contained. When central to the temple, said this fulfilled his claim. This started his campaign, they thought. He was not insane, well the word got around Went out to all of Galilee People started asking, yo, I think this is the prophecy He's given life to everyone He tried to do it silently Does anybody know his name? What's your name, man? Jesus Christ of Nazareth I mean, I'm Jesus, I'm from Nazareth And there's a million things that yet to come But just you wait, just you wait. When he was to his family split to Egypt, fleeing Herod refugees in a land of sand, so arid. enraged, Herod got violent, annihilant, and Jesus got away, but every baby was silent baptized by his cousin. The cousin was dressed in dignified, unworthy, stooped his shoes and tied in the countryside, a voice saying, Jesus, I'm pleased, because you're my son. He started fasting and blasting, outlasting Satan on the run. There would have been nothing left to do for one less resolute. He would have been shunned in blinds and mutes, as well as those in prostitution. Started preaching, teaching, outreaching to the outcasts, downtrodden, forgotten, down downcast, searching for a w- and bleeding and he calls her daughter turning over tables in the house of his father at the top of his lungs in the distance you can hear repent for the kingdom of God is near 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 repent 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 Jesus Christ of Nazareth We have waited centuries for you you can never back down always learn to take your time oh Jesus Christ of Nazareth we have waited anxiously for you will they know why it is you came to take away all our sin and shame the world will never On a mountain now, see if you can hear him. Even this task collector's trying to get near him. His enemies destroyed his life, but everyone will fear him. We walked with him. Me, I lied to him. Me, I busted him. Me, I touched him. And me, I'm the darn fool that got him. A million things are yet to come, but just you wait. What's your name, man? Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Spanish service and you'll get it then just <laughs> kidding um, I'll say this I remember a couple years ago when my roommate told me about the hot ticket item on Broadway he said that every so- every show was sold out that every ticket was about you know hundreds of dollars and they were impossible to get and so you know I started asking him so what is it what's it called what's it about and he said Hamilton It's about Alexander Hamilton, and I was utterly confused. (laughs) Immediately, what came to my mind was that Got Milk commercial when someone has a $10,000 question, and he has a sandwich in his mouth, and the question is, who shot Alexander Hamilton? And the guy's like, Arambeau, and he's like, where's the milk, where's the milk? I just wondered to myself, how can there be a compelling Broadway musical that's the blockbuster of the year, about Alexander Hamilton and you know my friend told me it was about hip-hop and rap and all the choreography and later my friends were obsessed with it listening to the album nonstop. but every time they suggested for me to listen I would just say uh no it's it's okay Um, I've seen musicals before you know I'd rather experience it fresh when I see it for the first time myself but then I remember A karaoke night when I was at an InterVarsity National Staff Conference, my colleagues performed the opening number, very similar to what I just did. And I was utterly amazed. The music, the rhymes, the lyrics, they were so crisp and witty. But not only that, Alexander Hamilton had this compelling story. You see, he was an orphan, he was an immigrant from the Caribbean, And then, literally, with just his resourcefulness and his writing and his brilliance, he climbed his way into college, was a leader in the Revolutionary War, and then he became a founding father of this country and Secretary of Treasury. You know, it wasn't long after until I started listening to the soundtrack over and over again, and I actually bought his 800-page biography, read it all, and I'll just say this, the musical just scratched the surface of his life. And I was just, like, obsessed with everything Hamilton at that point. I even got to see the musical at the Pantages uh, with my family. But then I thought to myself, you know who also is a very compelling character? Jesus Christ. (laughs) And if you look at his biography, there are so many incredible aspects to his story. And there are also many labels that could be attached to him. You know, he was a child born out of wedlock. He was a convicted felon that got the death sentence. He was a political refugee fleeing a murderous dictator. His statements and reputation portrayed him as a religious and political radical. But at the same time, he performed all these miracles and healings, did these teachings. And if we're honest about it, he tried to be quiet about him, but his reputation preceded itself. So then I thought, If a song like this could draw me into the character of Alexander Hamilton, could I use it in the same way for Jesus? And I also thought that this was a perfect introduction for today's passage. As we've been following the life of Jesus through the Gospel of Luke, we've gone through all these various stages of his life. His birth, his baptism and temptations, his proclamation of Isaiah in the temple, and then people wanting to throw him off a cliff. We see the beginnings of his ministry and reaching out to the marginalized. And now we come to chapter 5 with the calling of his first disciples. And today's message is titled, Sent or Called to What? And to be honest, it could be easily titled, Called by Who? Um, But let's look at the first section of this passage. So Luke chapter 5, starting at verse it reads, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen, who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So it seems like an ordinary day, Jesus out by the lake, has his following, doing his teachings, and there's some fishermen doing their own thing, A detail that almost seems periphery. And then Jesus does something unexpected. He gets into the boat. Simon, if he can put it out a little. Now, if I'm Simon, I'm probably just focused on getting my work done. And don't really want to be bothered. It's like, Jesus, you do your teaching thing. I'll do my fishing thing. Um, It'll just be background noise. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus actually invades his space. The passage doesn't say that Jesus, if he asks for permission or anything, it just says that he gets into the boat. The thing he does ask is, hey, can you put the boat out a little? And from a practical teaching standpoint, this actually makes a lot of sense. Depending on the size of the crowd that's following Jesus right now, he can only talk so loud before he starts losing people and can't get to that volume. But when he's put out at the lake, it actually creates a natural amphitheater with the water there, with the hills around, and so he could project even louder to this crowd of people if he's out on the boat. So why is Simon okay with this? And the passage doesn't really say, but from the previous passage, we see that Simon actually knows Jesus. Jesus went to his house and actually healed his mother-in-law of a fever. And so maybe Simon is thinking to himself, you know, Jesus, you did me good before, so sure, I'll do you this favor. You can get in my boat, I'll push it out so that you can do your teaching thing um, while I get back to my work with my nets. And maybe it might be a little imposing, Jesus coming into your space, maybe a distraction from his work, but you know, he can still get back to it while Jesus does his thing. And so this brings me to my first point from this passage that sometimes Jesus invades our space. For us, Maybe we've been a Christian for most of our lives, and there's a certain familiarity that we have with him and when to expect him. We expect him at church on Sunday or holidays like Christmas and Easter. We expect him at Bible study. We expect him at grace before meals, when we pray for ourselves or for loved ones. For others, we may expect him in our prayer time or when we read the Bible, maybe when we make a big decision and start having to pray about that. But what about the moments that are unexpected? The spaces where we don't think we're going to encounter Jesus? The spaces that that's work time or fun time or errand time or family time or even me time. When Jesus invades that space, how do we respond? I remember earlier in the year, we were having this student planting conference out in Anaheim at the House of Blues. A thousand students were going there. I was co-leading one of the tracks, and I was exhausted, and the students hadn't even come yet. They're coming in that day, and I had my me time. I was at a Starbucks. I'm like, I'm just going to enjoy this iced caramel macchiato, um, have fun, and, you know, after that, I know that in the evening, the students are going to come. And then someone runs quickly out past me, and I'm like, oh, what was the commotion? And I found out that he actually took his hand into the tip jar, took everything, and ran away. And the employees were just, like, in shock. And I felt that nudge from Jesus. And I was, like, thinking to myself, this is my me time. This is not my time to be an intervarsity staff worker or doing these things. But you know when you get those nudges from Jesus that he wants you to do something. And so I went up and started talking to the employees there. I asked them what just happened, and they shared the story. And then I just asked them a curious question. On your best day, just curious, how much is usually in there? And they're like, oh, well, we'll usually end up the day with like about $42. And what I did was I went to the CVS next door, bought a Coke with my debit card, and also did some cash back for $50 went over there and said, I, this is what God wants me to do, and I hope you're blessed by it, and I put it in. And they were blown away by that, but something that I also felt compelled to do, too, was just share what happened. So I went on social media. I knew that a 1,000 uh, students were coming to this very area. I'm like, hey, this Starbucks just got, sh- got robbed of their tips. If you can, you know, this is probably a bad day for a lot of folks here. If you could just leave an additional tip for them, I think that can go great. And then I just saw all the exposure and people just like dropping off like a dollar here, dollar there. And I guarantee you that their best day was the day that they got robbed at Starbucks. But I wonder for us, are we okay with Jesus invading our space? Are we okay when he calls us in a place that's unexpected? This was a situation for Peter and this is a situation for us today. But this is also just the first part of our story. So let's look at the next section of this passage. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And I want to point out here that Jesus isn't just invading Simon's face anymore. He's actually interrupting him. In the last part, it said that the pa- in the passage that the fishermen were washing their nets. That's actually the last thing that they do before closing up shop. You know, they're done for the day. Jesus' seemingly innocent request, one, it's not simple. In fact, it undoes everything that they've done, and he's asking them to go back into deep water. Uh, for those of you who have work retail, you probably know this feeling. You're ready to close up. You've cleaned up. You've mopped up. All the supplies are away. And then one minute before you're supposed to close, a customer walks in. You're like, do I really have to right now? Secondly is this. Jesus' request, it's actually not practical at all. Whereas the other one, it creates this amphitheater of amplifying his voice. This doesn't make sense. You see, fishermen know the best time for fishing in the deep water is actually during the night, which is what they've been doing the whole time. You can even hear the reluctance in Simon's voice. After all, he is an experienced fisherman. He knows what he's doing. He was probably trained by his father since childhood, and now he's taking fishing advice from a rabbi? This doesn't make sense, and it doesn't seem fair They had been working all night and had nothing to show for it. And now Jesus is saying, oh, yeah, put in another hour of work. But he does it anyway because Jesus says so. Now, here's the interesting thing. When Simon calls a master, it's a simple term of respect. But I'll come a little bit back to that. And one thing that I do want to point out and I find very interesting, Jesus is teaching this crowd this entire time but then everything that he said is not written down and recorded. Instead, what is recorded is the conversation that he has with Simon, the fisherman. And I would say that the equivalent of this today would be as if this sermon was not recorded, there's no podcast done. Instead, we recorded my conversation with the guys in the sound booth. But I wonder here if the lesson is that As important as church is, the teachings, the service, some of the most life-changing interactions and moments actually come outside of it. By the way that Jesus interacts with us and how we respond. And now this brings me to my second point. Sometimes Jesus interrupts us. Doesn't just come into our space, but now he interrupts us in terms of we had a goal and now everything is changing. And maybe you know this feeling of being interrupted. You're working, it's Friday, you're ready to go home, and the boss comes up to you and says, Hey, Peter, what's happening? Yeah, I'm going to have to ask you to come in on Saturday, too. I think there are many ways that our lives can also be interrupted when Jesus begins invading our space. Um, And one example I want to use actually, um, so last month, uh, PPC held its finals cafe for college students. Um, There should be a picture coming up. And for the last few years, you know, what we do is we open up Trinity Center from noon to midnight. There's coffee, Wi-Fi, plenty of study space, and folks from PPC volunteer to host. And in the evenings, they even bring food, they bring dinner for the students. And it's a great ministry, and so much so that this past one, we had more students than usual. In fact, uh, we ran out of food, so John Belen actually had to go out and get, like, three emergency pizzas and became the hero for the night. Um, and, but I actually want to share a different story that happened a few years ago about someone who came to host, and I'll, I'll call her Diane, So Diane came during one of the afternoon sessions just to tidy up, straighten things up, and she asked my staff partner, Ben, if there was anything more she could do. So Ben, you know, shared with her that studying for finals is one of the most stressful times for students. The food part meets the physical need, but if she wanted to meet a deeper need, she could approach students and ask if there was anything she could pray for. And the reality was Diane had never actually prayed for someone like this before in this context, so there was some hesitation at first, but she took a step forward and started praying for the closest student, um, talking with them, and then went to the next one and did the same thing. Um, by the time uh, her shift was over, she prayed for everyone and started sharing with Ben how great that experience was for her, how wonderful the ministry was, and this is what Ben said. He told her that, you know, one of the reasons why this ministry is so important is a lot of college students are actually dealing with food scarcity now. This is probably going to be the best meal that they're going to have this week. Um, and there's actually a study done by the Cal State system that approximately 20% of their students lack regular access to food. And anywhere between 8 and 12% live in unstable housing conditions. Probably they're homeless. And later that night, Diane was shopping for shoes online when suddenly she was interrupted. She got a nudge from God. Before she made her purchase, she remembered what Ben said about the students and their need. Instead of buying the shoes, she stopped and started writing personalized encouragement cards to each and every one of those students that she had the opportunity to pray for. And then she did something that reminds me of my grandma. She stuck in some money in each of the cards the same amount that she was about to spend on shoes. And so I have a picture of that right here, one of the cards, and I'm thinking to myself, man, if I was a college student, I'd definitely come for that. (laughs) Here's the interesting thing though, that this picture was taken by a student who posted it online on social media, shared a short testimony, what it meant to her, and the post got so much attention. Diane's influence actually went beyond just that room because students were willing to share what God was doing in their lives. For us, when Jesus invades our space, interrupts our lives, when we get these nudges from God, I ask again, how will we respond? And Now let's close with the rest of the story, starting at verse 6. When they had done so, They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come help them. They came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had just taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. The Word of the Lord. Here we see that Jesus stands behind his words. Simon catches more fish than he could ever imagine, and because it was so miraculous, he begins to recognize who Jesus really is. And he's scared. In the verse right before this, he calls Jesus master, a sign of respect. But now we see a major shift. What is he calling him now? Lord. Not just a term of respect. In Greek, it's the word kurios. And it could mean one of three things. One, the owner or possessor. Uh, It's a great sign of reverence or respect. It could also be how a servant would treat their master. But then the third definition is simply this. It's God. It's the Messiah. Which of these three definitions do you think Simon meant here? And do we see the difference between Simon's response when he sees Jesus as master, as boss, as someone who just deserves respect, versus when he sees him as Lord, as God, as the Messiah, First, he has a reluctance of going out and doing a deeper catch, but now we see that he is all in. He leaves everything and follows Jesus. And there are a couple things that I love about this call that Jesus gives to Simon, where he says, From now on, you will fish for people. The first thing I love is this the call is bigger than himself. It's more than just having your boat filled. And I think that on a personal level, our call to Jesus, it is more than us getting our fill. It is more than just making sure that our boats are full, whether that is full bank accounts, a fulfillment, personal fulfillment of our goals, more than just the American dream or just crossing the finish line. It's even more than our own satisfaction in our personal spiritual lives. The call to Jesus is so much bigger than that. But even as a community, PPC's call, it is more than just ourselves. It is more than just having our boats filled. It's more than just people in the pews. It's more than just the activity on our campus and more than just abundance in our cash reserves or even our budgets. It is a call to deeper waters. It is a call to fish for people. It's a call to this community A call to reach and disciple the next generation. The second thing I love about this, though, about this call, is that Jesus relates it back to exactly who Simon is. He's a fisherman, and God calls him to fish for people. You see, when Jesus calls us, when he invades our space, when he interrupts our lives and our plans, he'll call us to take risks and step out of faith, but he also invites us in a way that is true to ourselves, true to the way that he created us. God can use our gifts and passions for his glory, for his call that he gives us. And I see this in many different ways. My dad was a music major at USC, and he was a high school band director at first doing marching band and everything. He loves music, but then when he felt God's call, he left that job in order so that he can be a minister of worship in his local church. And he has loved his, his, uh, his way of being able to participate in this for God's glory. I see this also in this church here. Andy Atherton, if he's here, he is a professional cook. He loves cooking. I always hear that he's listening or watching new food documentaries But he doesn't just see it as his job. He sees it as his passion, as his gift. And I've seen it a number of times how he's used it to bless people at this church. Whether it's cooking for yesterday's ping pong tournament or doing the mashed potatoes for the Food for Finals Cafe. There are ways that God wants to use our gifts and passions for his glory. Or for Roy, for all of his passions and gifts for everything south of the border. From Venezuela to Mexico. That's not only something to advance the kingdom over there, but I believe that his passion is brought here to reach Latinos in the local community. And that's why he participates in the Nueva Vida Bible study or participates in the Spanish worship service. Is because God has created his heart that can flow in his kingdom here and now. For myself, I'm a fan of Weird Al Yankovic. I love his version of Michael Jackson's Beat It, that he turned to eat it, where he plays the same music but changes the words. And you wonder, how could he use something strange like that? But hey, when Hamilton becomes the most popular Broadway musical, what happens when we replace him with Jesus? Or then for Diane. She did the best thing that she knew what to do. She could write cards, she could pray for people... She could be like a grandma and stick a little bit of cash there. Maybe she's not a social media expert, how to make things go viral. But when she touches the lives of students, they're the ones that can do that. And so I want to ask us this question. Are we as a church, PPC, all in for the call that God is giving us? To be able to go into deeper waters to fish for people, to reach the next generation and disciple them. Are we all in? Are we ready to use our gifts and passions, not just sit on the sidelines or in the periphery, but be all in? And I think what I said earlier, that oftentimes the most important interactions that we have with Jesus are not necessarily in our church service, but in how he calls us outside and how we respond. And with that, Let's pray. Jesus, you aren't just our boss. You aren't just our master. You are the Lord, God, Messiah, and Savior of all. And I pray that we remember that as we think about our call to you and also the call that you invite us into. You call us into deeper waters, you call us to fish for people. You're calling us as a congregation to reach this local community, to invest and disciple the next generation. And so, God, I pray that we would be people of faith, that we would be all in, that we would respond to you accordingly, and trust that you actually have the best for us, that we actually become our best selves in following and surrendering everything to you. And we lift this up in the name of the Father.